a Chinese spy sentenced to 20 years in U.S. prison. The high-ranking official was found to have targeted American aviation intel. Caught on camera, Chinese leader Xi Jinping criticizing Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau face-to-face -face on the sidelines of the G20 summit. China unable to invade Taiwan. That's what a top U.S. military official is saying. So it's a very, very difficult military objective. Vice President Kamala Harris heading to Asia. She's meeting with the Philippines president there, likely on the agenda, talks about Taiwan tensions. And China's COVID-19 cases surging. A city in southern China now building 250,000 beds for infected patients and their close contacts. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. Before we turn to today's news, we'd like to introduce you to the sponsor of today's episode. Secure, the true solution for your digital privacy and security. Secure is a private and secure messaging and email solution hosted in Switzerland, using military-grade encryption and Swiss privacy laws, giving you true privacy. Secure is 100% private and does not collect or sell any of your personal data. Secure's Helix technology connects you securely to our Swiss servers without the need of a VPN, guaranteeing privacy and security for all your communications. Secure Messenger doesn't require your phone number or any personal data that hackers target. Chat by Invites allows you to chat privately and securely with anyone outside of your secure network without the need for others to download Secure. Secure Send offers you a private and secure way to email anyone outside of Secure. You won't find this level of privacy or security on any other email or instant messaging application. Visit secure.com. Regain and protect your privacy today. Visit secure.com to learn more about what makes us different. Get started with Secure Messenger for just $5 or $10 for the email and messenger package. Use promo code Tiffany for 25% off. A high-ranking Chinese spy given a 20-year prison sentence in the U.S. on Wednesday. He served as a deputy division director at the Chinese Ministry of State Security and has been found to have targeted U.S. aviation intel. Yan Jun-shu was found guilty of leading a ring of Chinese agents that targeted U.S. aviation companies beginning in 2013 or earlier. He recruited employees from American companies to travel to China, gathered confidential information from them, and leaked it to the Chinese Communist Party. He has worked as a state agent since 2003, having risen to the rank of Deputy Division Director at China's Ministry of State Security. Xu pleaded not guilty at the trial, which spanned three weeks. Xu is the first Chinese intelligence agent to be extradited to the United States to stand trial. He was caught in Belgium in 2018. That's after an engineer he targeted for recruitment cooperated with the FBI and helped lure him to the European country. He was later transferred to the U.S. In a statement, FBI Director Christopher Wray called the Chinese spy's actions brazen. He added that they show China will stop at nothing to put American companies out of business and damage U.S. workers. A rare moment caught on camera. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping wearing what some are calling an annoyed expression. On Wednesday, he criticized Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in person over alleged leaks about their meeting at the G20 summit. Here's more. CCP leader Xi Jinping was filmed at the G20 summit confronting Canadian leader Justin Trudeau. Xi accused Trudeau of leaking details of a closed-door meeting on Tuesday to the media. 
That is not appropriate. And we don't do this kind of thing that way. She added that China can conduct talks with Canada with mutual respect if there's sincerity. Otherwise, there would be a dubious outcome. Here's Trudeau's response. If there is sincerity on your part, free and open and frank dialogue, and that is what we will continue to have, we will continue to look to work constructively together, but there will be things we will disagree on and we will have The day before, the two leaders held a short informal meeting on the sidelines of the G20 summit. Neither Chinese nor Canadian authorities have given details about the meeting. But Trudeau confirmed points that he had made to the media, like that he brought up serious concerns about alleged spying and Chinese interference in Canadian elections during the meeting. The confrontation between the two leaders highlights tensions between their countries. That's following China's tit-for-tat arrests in response to Canada's detention of Chinese telecom company Huawei, executive Meng Wanzhou, in 2018. And more recently on Monday, the arrest of an employee at Hydro-Quebec. He was charged with trying to steal trade secrets for China. Also this month, Canada ordered three Chinese companies to divest their investments in Canadian critical minerals, citing national security. China won't be able to attack Taiwan in near future. That's what U.S. General Mark Milley said at a Pentagon briefing Wednesday. Here's more. So it's a very, very difficult military objective. The top military official says Chinese troops haven't fought in combat since fighting the Vietnamese in 1979. And so invading Taiwan would be a, quote, very dangerous game. He said Chinese leader Xi Jinping would probably conclude that an invasion would end in disaster anyway, and that it would mark a strategic debacle for the Chinese military. And when blood is spilled and people die and real tanks are being blown up, Things are a little bit different. Miley adds even though a change in circumstances may occur, he believes launching an invasion on Taiwan would be a strategic mistake for China, similar to Russia's actions on Ukraine. Beijing sees Taiwan as its own territory despite never having ruled the island. U.S. relations with Taiwan play an important part in its relationship with China. President Joe Biden has confirmed that the U.S. will defend Taiwan if attacked by China. And now the U.K. is making a similar commitment. Earlier this week, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said he would consider sending arms to Taiwan if needed, adding that China represents a systemic challenge to U.K. values. Washington's relationship with the Philippines is warming. The U.S. now plans to pump over $60 million into the island country. The money will be used to upgrade and build new facilities on Filipino military bases. A security deal allows the U.S. to use five military bases there. Washington maintains a presence in the country by rotating troops, warships and aircraft. The Philippines occupies a key location. It sits just south of Taiwan. The Filipino ambassador to the U.S. said earlier that American forces could use the military bases there in the case of a Taiwan military crisis. Though there's a catch. To allow it, the Philippines must believe the situation is important to its own security. Manila is now in talks with Washington over the possibility of allowing U.S. forces to use more than the current five military bases. The $60 million announcement comes a week before Vice President Kamala Harris scheduled a visit to the country. The trip would make her the highest-ranking U.S. official ever to visit the Philippines. Discussions about Taiwan tension are expected on the agenda. The Philippines is a U.S. treaty ally, meaning both countries would defend each other in case of an attack. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris is getting ready for a trip to Asia. 
there, she'll meet Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. next week, and talks about Taiwan are expected. Here's more on the details. Manila's ambassador to Washington told the press Thursday he believes the leaders will touch on the Taiwan situation. During a phone call with Reuters, he noted the Philippines wants to play a role in peaceful coexistence between Washington and Beijing. Once more, he said Harris would brief Marcos on President Biden's three-hour meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. The two spoke on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Indonesia this week. The vice president's trip visit will mark her first effort to the Philippines and her second to Asia within just three months. She will also become the highest-ranking U.S. official to visit the Southeast Asian nation since elected Marcos. She's also scheduled to make a stop on the islands of Palawan. The archipelago covers nearly 1,800 small islands on the edge of the South China Sea. Her presence there would anger Beijing, which lays territory claims to much of the South China Sea. An international hearing in 2016 ruled those claims have no legal basis. The war in Ukraine has shown how important drones are in modern combat, both for reconnaissance and attacks. Just like Ukraine, Taiwan has a powerful neighbor. On Tuesday, the island presented its self-developed drone technology amid ongoing tensions with China. Taiwan's National Chongsan Institute of Science and Technology designed the drones. They're specially made for collection intel and attacking enemy radars. The images taken can be swiftly linked to the system so that they could be shared with all the combat units. Taiwan originally planned to produce just over 100 drones. That number is expected to rise. The first batch of drones was already delivered and deployed along the island's coast, facing China. Now we turn to Germany. Politicians in the country are pushing back on a possible drone deal. They say they're concerned about civil protection. That's because the designated brand is a Chinese drone maker on the U.S. trade blacklist, DJI. According to German media report, Germany's Interior Ministry plans to buy more than 60 DJI drones for disaster relief. But leaders from the German environmentalist Green Party are calling it a bad idea, saying they shouldn't make Germany even more dependent on autocratic states in critical areas. But an interior ministry spokesperson says drones should not pose a security concern and adds that no bid has been made for the possible purchase yet. The U.S. Defense Department officially blacklisted DJI this year, labeling it a Chinese military company. That restriction follows last year's trade ban on DJI by the U.S. Treasury Department. Over in southern China, Guangzhou city authorities are setting up makeshift hospitals and quarantine sites. The facilities will include enough beds for nearly 250,000 COVID-19 patients and their close contacts. The city is a manufacturing hub and home to about 20 million people. Now it may be battling China's largest outbreak of the year. Official data shows that new daily infections of the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19, have risen to about 9,000. Due to the Chinese regime's history of underreporting the country's pandemic data, the true number might be higher. Many are concerned that Guangzhou's outbreak is approaching the same level as what Shanghai faced earlier this year. On Monday night, hundreds of residents took to the street in a rare protest, speaking out against lockdown orders in the city's worst-hit district. Coming up, as leader of the democratic world, the U.S. is facing multiple global missions at the same time. 
including facing off against Beijing. What's the first step in that confrontation with the communist regime? Well, if we just accommodate them, if we get, they get to know us, uh, then they will become liberalized, friendlier. They will see what the rules of the, the global order are and they'll behave. Well, there's enough empirical evidence to suggest this isn't going to happen. So you do have to, as I say, first get the, the psychology right on our side. Tiffany Meyer spoke to Grant Nushan, senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy, for a deep dive into the issue. Learn more after the break, here on China in Focus. The U.S. is getting more stretched as it deals with several global missions. And at the top of that list, the Chinese communist regime. What's the next step for America as it looks to counter Beijing? Tiffany Meyer sat down with Grant Nusham, senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy, to learn more. On that note, Grant, given all these tensions in these areas, for instance, Latin America, Africa, we see like Iran, China, all these what should the U.S.'s foreign policy be? What should maybe be some of our starting steps? Stand up for what America America is. Stop trying to cut deals with these countries that, that hate us. You know, give them a choice. You know, look, if you want to do business with us, if you want to have dealings with us, you're going to have to uh, behave in a way that civilized nations work. You know, there, there is no deal to be cut with these uh, countries. And so there's a psychological shift that really is required on the U.S. side. And you look at, say, successive U.S. administrations, the Trump administration much less, especially when it came to, to China. Uh, but other administrations have all thought, well, if we just accommodate them, if we get, they get to know us, uh, then they will become liberalized, friendlier. They will see what the rules of the, the global order are and they'll behave. Well, there's enough empirical evidence to suggest this isn't going to happen. So you do have to, as I say, first get the, the psychology right on our side. Um, and then I've mentioned the, you know, the idea of weaning ourselves, just weaning ourselves, cutting this dependence on things like Chinese manufacturing, uh, the allure of the China market that has got U.S. business just transfixed and has for a long time and willing to sell out its birthright uh, for a crack at selling one of something to every Chinese person. Uh, you've got to get, say, the economic angle right. But also the, the military end is as important, and you don't want to understate it, even though I get to it uh, sort of later. You, if you're not able to demonstrate that if our enemies try anything, it will not end well for them, and they know that they are going to die. Uh, if you can't have that sort of an economic, uh, military capability or an advantage and be seen as having that, then no amount of economic persuasion, diplomatic effort is going to work. You have got to get the security end of it right. Uh, and we, it does require you know, having our allies actually be capable of, capable of fighting. Uh, there's been such a sense for so long that, well, there's no, never going to be a really big war again. That was old history, it won't happen. Uh, that just about every nation uh, on earth that we would consider our friends or partners allowed their military to lapse. And this includes the Japanese, the Australians, all of the Europeans, by and large, uh, have not uh, uh, kept their, their, short, their swords sharpened in the way they need to be. But this is absolutely fundamental. And you've got to pay for these things. Uh, it would be nice if U.S. defense industry didn't... Um, uh, try to squeeze every possible dollar out of a contract, but maybe give the government and the military a break 
on some of these deals. Uh, but this is absolutely essential. Our industrial base needs to be given special attention. Uh, get rid of this idea of outsourcing, offshoring. If you remember, that was sort of the hot issue. It was the, the cool sort of the, the MBA crowd was trumpeting that over the last 30 years. If you can save, you know, ten, ten, tenth of a cent on a dollar by uh, shipping your jobs overseas, particularly to the countries that want to destroy us, uh, well, that's a good thing. Well, that is a bad thing. And you see the effects that that, that has had on the United States and our society. I think it ties directly into the carnage in these in the neighborhoods, the societies that relied on manufacturing uh, for their well-being. It's allowed the fentanyl, uh, sort of the drug epidemic, to flourish uh, in these places. And all of the drugs, of course, originate in China. Um, and so we need to bring this. They say bring the manufacturing, the the, the economics, the economy back to America. You got to do that. It doesn't have to be America. There's this word expression, friend shoring. There's no reason uh, that it can't go to countries, other countries that that, that actually like us. Um, you know, there is a certain logic actually to trying to build economic ties and psychological and political and military ties with countries that like you, rather than with countries whose avowed aim is to destroy you. Uh, so those are a few things that I would uh, would do. And on that note, Grant, it seems, you know, after the Cold War, the U.S. destroyed all of our nuclear weapons, but Russia didn't. And now we have China also kind of entering that race. And back in the Reagan era, there was this idea of peace through strength, right? And then you mentioned the military part. I think the Heritage Foundation just had a report out recently saying for the first time in nine years, it marked our military might as weak. And then it seems it's twofold, right? There's the military part, but then there's also the money that we're funding into our enemies, basically. And then there's also the ideal, ideological part, it seems, because Bradley Thayer recently came out with a book called Understanding the China Threat, and in it he's like, it's a winnable war, but it has to be one on the ideological front. So given all these different sectors, like how would you, where do you see all of this headed going forward? You know, we are a country, and the d democracies are, where people are literally dying to get into. There's a line outside every American embassy to try to get a visa to the United States. People are tunneling to get into America. Uh, and does anyone do that in the, uh, the, the dictatorships? No. Uh, so this is something that we should be able to sell. And to put the other side on the defensive, explaining why a sort of a corrupt dictatorship is sort of the preferred method of government for their citizens. Uh, but we seem to have forgotten you know, how to do propaganda in the good meaning of the word, where you're simply explaining yourself, selling your ideas, and what we have is attractive. Uh, and it, the empirical evidence for that is clear. As I said, nobody lines up outside the Chinese embassy for a visa. Uh, and American embassies and consulates, they do. Uh, but that is, is part, of the, part of the game, and uh, Professor Thayer is, is absolutely right. Uh, we used to remember this you know, during a good bit of the Cold War, uh, but then when it looked like we had won the Cold War, well, there was a sense that the history had ended. Democracy prevailed, free markets had prevailed, but we're seeing that we're no different than human beings have ever been, and we face the, the same problems uh, that everyone has faced. It's just taken us a, uh, taken maybe 20, 30 years for these two uh, to come around. And Grant, any last words you'd like to add? Well, 
you know, it's, um, as I said, it would be nice to see some of our allies um, taking this as serious as we need to take it. Uh, and, and I'm speaking particularly of the Japanese uh, as well. And partly because we, if we had a solid, uh, solidly linked uh, U.S.-Japan relationship with a real Japanese military capability linked with ours, uh, that this is probably the guarantor of stability in the, the Asia-Pacific. On our own, I don't think we could do it, but with the Japanese, with the Australians, and they need to wake up too uh, and see that they are just as much as threat at, at risk uh, as anyone else is. Um, and then you might even draw in some free nations as well. Uh, but it is going to take an American administration uh, to look at the entire map of the globe and pay attention to all of it. Uh, not just a, a few parts of it, and um, so we'll see how this plays out. Uh, but this is certainly a time that uh, I never quite thought that I would see in my lifetime, where you have a combination of enemies coming together uh, with an aim to displace us, dominate us, if not destroy us. Uh, and now we'll see what we're actually made of. Grant, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Pleasure. Always glad to be here. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the rest of your week.